0: We often teach through books of the Bible. Right now, we're in, we're taking a deep dive through the book of John, and we've been in it for some time, but we're on a little break right now. And so we're talking about something a little bit different today. We got the conversation kicked off by talking about how much life has changed. Um, I've been married 17 years now, and if you go, go back and think about how much life has changed in the last 17 years, um, you had things like, social media. We have YouTube. I bet some of you used YouTube, Um, these devices. And last week, I got to show you my original iPhone. Yeah, I'm nerdy. But you think about how much life has changed since that fateful day in 2007, where Steve Jobs stood up and introduced this one device to rule them all, uh, that you probably have in your pocket or in your hand right now, I'm betting, right? Where you used to have to have one of these, and you know for pictures and one of these for video and, and uh, one of these to talk and text. Now you have one of these. And we don't really even think about it. It's just part of life right now. But here's one of the implications of all this change that we've seen over the last 15, 17 years. We now live in a world where it is easy to be distracted literally all the time. It's just the truth of the world we live in. We live in a world where it's easy to hang out with friends and not actually even talk to the person in the room. Uh, We live in a time where you can have a family dinner and never actually interact with your family because you're all on different devices. This is a reality in most people's lives today. And one of the biggest culprits we know um, when it comes to distraction is that smartphone that you have in your hand or your pocket right now, right? And here's the thing, when it comes to our phones, we kind of all like vaguely know we probably spend too much time on our phones, right? But most people have no idea how much time they actually spend on their phone. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, before we launched this, our, a few of our staff were hanging out and we pulled out and looked at our, our uh, um, what's it called, screen time settings and we're like, oh, wow, <laughs> it's like... I, I'm, you know, I'm like, I'm not, I only pop on Facebook here and there for a few minutes. I'm like, hours? How did that happen in the last week? What in the world? And it's a, it's, it's actually quite amazing. And so to, to, to kind of get us into this, let me just, I'm going to pick on the young people in the room for a minute. But don't worry, not for very long, because then I'm going to pick on your parents. Uh, okay, so first I'm going to pick on you a little bit because you're easier. Um, and then we're going to go to your parents. But first, uh, here, here's some things. They, they did a big uh, survey, a big poll just a couple years ago. And what we found out is that 53% of kids have their own smartphone by the age 11. So over half. And nearly 70% have their own phone by the age of 12. So... Uh, Probably, we won't do a survey, but if we did, most of your kids, as they, you know, approach tween years and certainly teen years, are going to have a smart device in their pocket. Um, In 2019, there was a major survey, and we found out that teens spend an average of more than seven hours per day on screen, phone, screen time entertainment, not including school and homework, Now, I looked that up because over the last two years, you think that's improved? No. Actually, the number now is nine hours. Nine hours. And here's the thing. I Actually, I found this interesting article. It was by a psychiatrist who, by the way, she's like, I will never let my kids have smartphones just because of everything she's seen in her practice. Here's what she said. I rarely find one that's under nine hours. So these teenagers are spending more time on their phone than they are sleeping. And she found all the implications of that when it comes to just their emotional state of well-being has gone way down. And so for her, it's like, we're just not going to mess with it in our household. I found that interesting. There was a book that was written a a few years ago. It's called iGen. And uh, it's about iGen. If you're in your teens or early 20s, you're part of iGen uh, in the room. iGen. Um, if you're a little bit older, you're part of millennials, right? And then uh, a little older, you're part of Gen Xers, and a little bit older, you're a boomer. And if you're older than that, uh, you're part of the greatest generation. Um, that was my grandpa's, my grandparents. Um, but in this book, they they studied and looked at some trends that were emerging around these generations. And what they found is that the number of teens who actually get together with their friends every day has has been cut in half in the last 15 years. That actual in-person connection has been replaced by digital connection. Uh, For college-age, college-age students spend seven hours a week less in, in personal social interaction. And family time hasn't increased either. Oftentimes, family time has turned into everybody on their own different device. I've noticed this um, over the last couple years. I've noticed in my household how, how you know, what family movie night, if we're not really careful about this, family movie night is everyone on their own screen. You know, one kid watching YouTube here, somebody watching a movie here, somebody over here, right? And there's not this cohesiveness to even relationships anymore. Uh, iGen says this. They, they studied, what does this do to the happiness of young people? And they found out overwhelmingly, um, all this time spent on technology has led to less happiness. Uh, iGen says, teens who spend more time on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy. There's not a single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness. What they found is teens who use social media are more likely to say that they feel lonely or often feel left out of things. And I bet that's not just teens in the room. I bet some of you a little bit older have gotten on social media and you've seen a party and you're like, why didn't I get invited to that party? And you felt this thing of like, I'm left out. I'm I'm lonely. Why don't I have more close friends? Why don't I get to go on those vacations? Why don't I go get to do that stuff? They found that, all this screen time adds up to more depression. iGen says more screen time equals more depressed. They, they said for those that are, are on screens more than three plus hours a day, they're 35% more likely to have at least one suicide risk factor. They say with teens' brains so attuned to social rejection, texting and social media are fertile grounds for negative emotions, especially for younger uh, ladies, they found. And there's something just about the cadence of, uh, of texting. You know this, right? When you send somebody a text and they ghost you, which means you don't hear back from them. And for some, you're like, you know, you don't hear back from them from days. And you're like, they hate me, right? And then you find out they drop their phone in the toilet, um, which is a whole nother conversation, right? Seventy-some <laughs> percent. and no, We won't do a show of hands. Um, But this is just, this is the thing. There's a thing. There's something about these methods of communicating that um, lead to more anxiety. Now, I'm going to pick on you adults for a while, okay? Because here's the thing. You're like, elbow if your kids are next to you. You're elbowing them right now. I can see you out there, you know. They're, they're squirming a little bit. Just, we'll get to you though. now. Before you start, you know, picking on your kids, here's the thing. For, for adult smartphone use, just phones, they did a survey a little while ago, a, a company that's actually trying to get you to advertise on text messaging, it's really funny. They're like, see how addicted Americans are to their phones? You should use our platform. Here's what they found. The average American, um, at this point, this was a couple years ago, the average American spends 20 hours a week just on their phones. Now I looked up the screen time and I can tell you, um, yeah, that's probably about right. 20 hours a week. Now here's the thing. I told you last week, we had this conversation a couple of years ago. Um, and then literally the next weekend, the whole world shut down. The only way you could come, we were like, just kidding. Come to church online. Just kidding. Pick up your devices. <laughs> and here's the thing. I, I, as, as our staff talk about this, I'm like, I don't think this has gotten any better. In fact, for most of you, I think if you go and you look at your anxiety levels, if you look at um, you, the amount of time you're spending, you know, how m- much more isolated you are, all those things, I bet it has ramped up in the last um, two years. And I looked at the stats, up from 20 hours, now the average American spends 38 hours a week on their phones. That adds up to 82 days per year. Here's the implication for adults. Um, it also leads to a lot less happiness. iGen found, they did a survey of adults, they found out that the more people use Facebook, the lower their mental health and life satisfaction was. But after they interacted with their friends in person, their mental health and satisfaction improved. Anybody feel that? You're like, yeah, I felt that. One of the other biggest problems um, researchers have found with you, and particularly with adults, is... Not just the volume of time we spend on this devices; it is the amount of distraction that it adds in our life. They did a survey. What they found out is people who just got a smartphone for the very first time, they picked it up an average of 56 times per day, and they had a screen time of around 3.6 hours per day. By year three, they had picked it up now 77 times per day and had a screen time total of 4.6 hours. What that means is during waking hours, people are off their phone for 10 minutes at the most. Now, I looked at, I, I looked it up one week. I picked up my phone 529 times. Now I'm better than average. That, that was like every 12.7 minutes for waking hours. Still, that's like, whoa. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's a lot of distraction. Here's why this is a big deal. It's called context switching. And that means when you switch context, every time you switch context, so you're, you're working on a project, you're, you know, you're in a groove, you're working hard, you're getting something done, your phone goes ding, and you pick it up. Um, what they found is every time you lose, when you switch between tasks, you lose up to 40% of your productive time. And so especially if you're a type A person that likes to get things done and accomplish things, these distractions, these little distractions all day long are a pretty big deal. In fact, what they found, I mean, you've all experienced, you know, your phone dings and you checked one notification and it turned into 30 minutes of looking at cat videos. You're like, how did that happen, right? And before you know it, your whole day is hijacked. What they found is this is a behavior typically that's driven by anxiety. And research has shown that that what is driving it at the core is anxiety, a particular kind of anxiety. They've actually invented a actual phobia for it called nomophobia, or uh, younger people know know it as FOMO. And it's like, there's something going on. There's something I need to know about. And it's this thing that's driving you. You know that because if you ever lost, left your your phone somewhere, you know that (gasps) kind of anxiety feeling that comes on as you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? But here's the most important thing about all this and what I want to talk about today. The question is, what is all this distraction doing to our relationships? What is it doing to our relationships with those who matter most? See, because the, the truth is it's, it's becoming easier and easier to never spend quality focused time with the people who matter most in your life. You know, distraction instead of quality time harms your bond with your kids. 62% of kids aged 6 to 12 said their parents are distracted when trying to talk to them. Maybe you can identify with that. And, and one thing about the distraction in our lives when it comes particularly to smartphones and social media is have you noticed that you can have thousands of Facebook friends? I looked it up. I have like 1,200 some. Um, I'm like, I'm pretty popular. Not really. <laughs> some of you are like, I've got a couple thousand. You're more popular. But have you noticed that the distraction when it comes particularly around social media and some of these things, you're distracted with people in your life who really aren't core. I mean, you know what your boss's cousin's um, friend that you met one time at this party. You know that they have a new cat, and the new cat's name is Jezebel, uh, which you think is fitting. Front row doesn't. So you know, like random stuff, you know, you know what your, your, your brother-in-law or sister-in-law, what they had on their omelette for breakfast. But honestly, it's so easy to be connected to a lot of people uh, who aren't core. And now, of course, it's like weird because you're like, I, why do I only see the same post from the same six people? Because they have an algorithm that they've specifically tuned to your hot buttons. So, you know, it's just feeding you what you want to see, what they know is going to get your brain to keep clicking on their platform. That's why they're very smart marketers. The smartest people in the world are working very hard to make you addicted to their, their platforms. But you find yourself distracted with people who really you would say these are not core so many of these people are core I mean friends is a stretch for many right acquaintance is probably a more valid term and and here's the here's something true and kids this is something uh, you, you try to tell your parents but They don't always understand. The difference for most of us adults, we tend to use technology and social media to connect more with people in our lives who aren't core. Your kids tend to use their technology to connect with people who are core that they're interacting with every day. This is a problem, distraction. And here's here's the thing. Today's focus isn't really about tech. It's not about, we talked about last week. These are just bricks. We looked at Genesis. The bricks, they used to build the tower. The issue wasn't the bricks. The issue wasn't the bricks of their time. These are the bricks of our time. The issue wasn't the technology. The issue was what you did with them and what it did to you. And so what I'm going to tell you today is if you're a follower of Jesus, your goal should be to have meaningful relationships and deep connection with the people that God has called you to love in this life. And one of our best examples of how we should use our limited time and our limited relational energy is seen in the person of Jesus. And so I looked up what the Bible has to say specifically about smartphones and technology. And I didn't really find anything, but here's what I did find. When you look at the life of Jesus, you find some really interesting keys to how he used his time, how he used his relational capacity. And let me just say, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, um, if you follow Jesus' example, it will improve, it will benefit your life. I believe following Jesus is the best way to live. It'll make your life better. Now, that's not really our our primary goal. Our primary goal is you would experience the saving life that he can bring you, the eternal life the abundant life of having a relationship with him. But if you follow what he says, it will make your life better. And so here's what we see in these scriptures as we go through um, a few. And what we're going to do is we're going to jump around in the book of Luke. If you have your Bible, you can flip on over to Luke. And we're going to start at uh, chapter 4. And we're just going to observe some things. We're going to flip through some pages. We're going to observe some things about the way that Jesus interacted and about the way that Jesus um, handled uh, the amount of energy and the amount of time that he had in his life and his relationships. And then at the end, I'm going to give you three real simple action steps to help you start thinking through this and putting some wise controls and wise boundaries in place in your life, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump in at Luke chapter four, verse forty, and we see Jesus in Galilee. He's he's his ministry is really ramping up at this time, and he's becoming very famous. He's he's healing people. Uh, he's teaching the crowds. Everybody wants to be around Jesus. And so, Luke chapter 4, verse 40, it says, At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was Messiah. And so, we see Jesus as he teaches the crowd, the other thing he's doing is he's healing people with desperate needs, both spiritually and physically. And he's actually laying hands on them. He's healing them. Lots of people getting healed all over. Um, He's casting demons out. Interestingly enough, at this point in the account of the life of Jesus, really nobody knows exactly who he is, the Son of God. But the demons know, and they're freaked out. They freak out every time he comes around. And he silences them. Because he's not ready yet for that information to be made public. But Jesus, he's doing a very important ministry, you would admit, right? Healing people, casting out demons, preaching, teaching um, to the crowds. It's very important. It's a very important thing he's doing. He goes on, and he's so popular, he's so in demand. In verse 42, it says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. So he withdraws from the crowds. You see him doing this over and over. he he withdraws in order to get away and spend time with his father to escape the chaos, the noise, and the distraction. It says the people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I must I have a mission. I have a calling. I have something that my Father has given me as of first importance. I have priority and priorities in my life, and I need to keep them straight. And here's what I find so profound about this. You notice what Jesus is doing as he leaves this one area. The people want him there. They're begging him to stay there. There's all this need. In fact, he's got a very important job to do. All these people getting healed and demons being cast out and they want him to stay. And he actually is going to walk away from a very good opportunity and a very fulfilling opportunity because it feels good to be needed, doesn't it? It feels good to be needed. It feels good to have people wanting you around and right there. There's something about that that feeds our egos, isn't it? There's something about that that feels good that draws, for some of you, that's one of the primary ways that you draw um, fulfillment. is just that feeling of being needed and being wanted. And Jesus actually steps away from this crowd over here that needs him and wants him to stay because he has somewhere else he says he must be. I think we can learn something from that. Jesus says, I can't do that. Because I must do this. I have a mission. See, Jesus is fully God and fully man. God in a bod. And, and part of taking on flesh, Philippians says he emptied himself and became, took on the form of a bondservant. Part of taking on the limitation of humanity is that he is, um, he is uh, limited to space and time. So he has a limited amount of time and a limited amount of relational capital to use during his time that he's walking this earth and ministering. I mean, his ministry only lasts about three years from the time he begins to the time that he's crucified and rises again. And he understands, I have a limited amount of time to accomplish the work that the Father has given me to connect with the people that the Father has for me to connect with. So he doesn't do what's urgent in the moment. He does what he's on the earth to do. And see, when we talk about technology, it's really not um, our relationship with this. It's not about saying no to something for the the sake of saying no to something. It's putting proper boundaries around something and saying no to something for the sake of actually getting to the things that are most important in life. I'll go on and and flip forward to Luke chapter 5. Verse 16, you also see, so Jesus uh, turns down a good opportunity um, to, to do what he must do. But then also you see Jesus withdrawing. In verse 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So this is a habit often. If the son of God needs to get away from distraction and needs to get away from, um, the crowds and needs to get away from these things in order to connect deeply with the Father to empower him for ministry. Do you think you need it too? And we live in this constant world where it is all, it is so difficult to not be distracted constantly, to be constantly pulled away. Let me just say, when it comes to spending time with God in prayer and on your Bible, some of you, you can actually load up your Bible app and not be distracted and, um, and have a great quiet time with God consistently. Others of you, you need to be honest with yourself. The, the fo- minute you pick up that phone, you get, you know, 60 seconds in and a ding or a buzz goes off. And before you know it, you're down a whole nother route and you actually never connect deeply with God because you never disconnect from the distraction. Some of you need to actually go find dust off your paper Bible. I was talking to a teenager yesterday, one of our uh, worship leaders. And she's like, yeah, I was trying on my app and I just couldn't do it. And she says, I picked up my, my paper Bible. It's made such a huge difference in my relationship with God and connecting more deeply with God. So Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. He says, no, I can't be available at every time. I can't respond to the text the minute it comes in. I can't respond to that email the minute it comes in. I have to be this kid's dad. I have to build my relationship with my wife. And Jesus says, I have to build my relationship with my father. For you and I, how does that translate? Are you always on? Are you always available? Do you ever have moments where you pull back, where you disconnect? See, it's about having boundaries in place, wise boundaries. Jesus demonstrates boundaries. You need some spaces in your life where you disconnect in order to connect deeply with God and with others. If you keep going in this story, um, Jesus decides actually who who relationally he will invest his primary relational energy in. I think this is really important. Uh, Flip forward to chapter 6, verse 12. Says this, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent that night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated apostles. So Jesus, we'll see a little later, he's got a wider group of disciples and out of that wider group of disciples, he chooses the 12 that he's going to really deeply invest in. These are the people that will take and carry his mission to the ends of the earth. These will be the guys that found his ecclesia, his gathering, his assembly, his church, all around the world. And this is why we're here 2,000 years ago because he poured into and invested in these guys that ended up carrying the mission. He says, I'm going to invest deeply in this smaller circle of guys. So he chooses 12 who will take the gospel to the nations, but he doesn't stop at 12. Actually, interestingly, Um, flip forward to Luke chapter nine, verse 28. It says about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James, Peter, John, and James with him up onto the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. So he has the 12, and what we begin to see as we go through the Gospels is out of the 12, he has three that he begins to connect deeply with, that he has a deeper relationship with, that he really goes deep with these three, Peter, James, John. In fact, as we've been preaching through the book of John, Um, I think this experience and others like this so profoundly impacted some of them. It goes on. Here's what happens as, as he went up this mountain. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor. This is really cool because Moses, um, he's the one that gave the law. Elijah, he's the primary prophet. So we see a representation of the law and the prophets and all of this that's about ready to come into its climax and its fulfillment in the ministry of Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, literally in the Greek, his, the exodus, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This powerful, profound, prophetic moment, where Jesus, who the flesh that He's taken on, God in a bod, hundred percent God, hundred percent man, the flesh cannot contain the glory of God within Him anymore, and and these three get to witness this, and it blows their minds. Peter will write about it later about how it blew his mind. John, uh, John, how does John start out his book? How do, he later in his letters he's like, "In Him was light." And the light was the life of mankind. It blew him away. Later on in in one of his letters, he'll say, God is light. He's like, I experienced the glory of God with Jesus on this mountain, and it changed my life. This was the, the most amazing moment, perhaps, that these guys had experienced, probably up until they saw their friend, who they thought was buried and dead forever, walking and alive and before them. So we see Jesus has 12. And among those 12, he really has three. And around here, we have a couple different phrases. And part of our goal for you, as a follower of Jesus, if if, part of our goal is that you would connect that you would have gospel focused friendships in your life, that you would have a group of close friends around you, maybe 10, 12, I don't know, 12 is a great number but you would have a group that you're regularly connecting with that you would have gospel-focused friends, people that encourage you to follow Jesus, people that pray for you, that support you. But even out of that group, you would have some deeper relationships either. We call those iron sharpens iron relationships. And we're working on ways to to help you get more into those because sometimes it can be hard to show up in a, a large group and you don't know anybody and how do I get to know people? So we're working on some more ways But two great ways, our men's ministry, our women's ministry, they have this connection point, and out of that, they have these smaller group settings, and out of that, they have these discipling, mentoring, one-on-one, one-two-threes relationships. Iron sharpens iron. And we're working on these ways because we want you to have these relationships. We feel like these are relationships that God has called you to pour into in your life as a follower of Jesus, And your other primary relationship, beyond your relationship with God, as you know, is your relationships with your family, with your immediate family. These are to be primary. And Jesus shows that he he has a larger group that he's reaching. He's reaching the crowds. He's ministering to the crowds. But relationally, he's pouring into the 12, and he's pouring into even more the three. Now, skip forward to verse 51. We see this. It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus says, I have a job to do. The cross is before me. I have something very difficult I have to walk through. There's a cross that's waiting for me, but then I have to step out of a grave. I've got a job to accomplish. And Jesus is resolute. Another word I think that describes that is intentional. Jesus is intentional. And here's the thing. When it comes to so many things in our lives, I think one of our problems is we're haphazard. When it comes to technology, most of you, we don't really even think about it. We just bring a new device in, bring a new app in, bring a new streaming service and whatever it is, and we don't really pause to think about how this is going to impact our family, about how this is going to pull away from some of the things that God is calling us to accomplish. Jesus is intentional. He's resolute about it. I think it's very wise to begin to actually think about some of these things, and instead of just being accidental, um, guess what? Your kids. some of you, you have younger kids right now. And I remember that stage. And I remember when we first gave them ta- tablets um, because it seemed like a good thing to do for road trips and long flights, right? And they are. Can you imagine driving? Um, but here's what we found. We would give them to them and, and they would get off that, uh, that long flight f- five hours straight on a tablet or a road trip or whatever. And their little brains would be all like messed up. <laughs> you know what I mean if you're a parent, right? It's like takes two days to detox, because that screen does something. And what we noticed is times when we actually, like, we had a whole month uh, a few years ago. We pulled the screens out. We said, we're, gonna, we're doing a tech-free, screen-free month. We did a vacation. No screens. And we found the creativity actually ramped up. All of a sudden, they played like kids again. <laughs> they were creative. They talked to each other. Now, I, you know, I don't necessarily think the answer is just pull everything out, Right. But so many of us, there's just not an intentionality. There's not even, a, we don't think about these devices. We just, it just feels easy and convenient. Before you know it, you're not connecting. Before you know it, everybody's on their own device, doing their own thing, and relationship suffers. So Jesus is resolute. He's intentional. Flip forward to chapter 10, verse one. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So at this point, we see the circle has widened. More people accepted Jesus' friend's request. Except. More people, right? The circle has widened. So he has 72 now that he is training and equipping, but he doesn't take all 72 to the mountain, or even all 12. He takes the three Other times we see this pattern. Jesus is connecting. He's disconnecting to get by himself and to be alone with the Father. What we see is Jesus understands boundaries. I heard this great quote. I don't know who who first spoke it, um, but I heard this great quote. The only difference between a river and a swamp is a boundary. A river flows somewhere and there's banks that channel it. Swamp, as you know, it's very shallow, and it just sort of spreads out everywhere, and it's stinky, and there's mosquitoes. A river channels something, and that's what boundaries do. They channel you somewhere. They channel you to be effective, to actually accomplish the things you set out to accomplish, One is spread out so thin, and I think this is the the easy thing. You know, you're connecting with 2,000 people on on Facebook and not really connecting in any deep way with those closest to you. It's so easy. And a swamp doesn't breed health. It breeds sickness, right? And, And there's something about not being deeply connected and deeply rooted that isn't the way that God intended us to live. And here's the thing. Tech and these bricks one thing they've really done is they've blurred the lines and they've blurred the boundaries in our lives. You notice that? Especially over the last couple of years, the boundary between work and home. You used to, now I know uh, you probably barely remember this. Some of you remember this. You used to have a desk phone on your desk and a little answering machine. And when you left work, you left work and you went home. And when you got back to work, you checked your messages and the world did not explode um, overnight. Some of you remember that. But now it's like all hours of the night and day, this thing's beeping, buzzing, going off. I know sometimes you got to take it. Sometimes it's important. Some of you are doctors and you're actually saving lives. I get that. (laughs) But many of the rest of us is the world really going to end if I don't answer right now, immediately, in the moment? Tech has also blurred the lines of friendship in our life, hasn't it? Because where you used to have a group of friends, now you have 2,000 friends online. But ironically, nobody to help you move Saturday. I don't have a Chuck. Don't call me. Um, But see, that's, that's the tendency to have many shallow friendships, but very few deep friendships. And it's something that's been blurred in our lives, which is why it's wise to begin to have boundaries in place so we can channel our attention and our direction um, and our limited relational energy in the direction that's the most healthy in our life as followers of Jesus. Now, to keep going in this story, Jesus gets to Jerusalem. And we see this recorded in the other gospels as well. And while he goes there, he is on his way to the cross to the most intense, the most um, difficult thing that anyone in the course of history has ever gone through as he takes the sin of the world on his shoulders and goes to the cross for you and for me. He gives his life for us. And he brings three guys with him. In the moment, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane after the Last Supper. He knows he's about ready to go to the cross. And he takes these three, his closest guys, with him. And in this moment, they experience his darkest hour. It says in Luke twenty two forty two, 42, this is Jesus crying out, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So now he's taking these three with him, those closest. And they're going to experience, they experience the highest high point in his life, the transfiguration, this amazing, mind-blowing moment where they experience the glory of God. And now they're experiencing the deep anguish, Jesus' lowest point, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, and Jesus lets them into this moment. That's one of the reasons why you need deep relationships in your life, is you will go through some dark moments in this life, even as a follower of Jesus. Jesus never promised life is going to be easy. He promised he will be with us. But also, that's why we need community in our lives. As you go through some difficult seasons, as you go through some hardships with your kids, you need people there to support you, to pray for you, to be there with you. Jesus models this. Deep relationships. So to sum this all up, what do we see about Jesus here? We see that he's resolute he's intentional about accomplishing what the father has for him we see that he has wise boundaries in place considering his limited time on earth that he pulls away to be alone with his father so to deepen his relationship with his father we see that yes he ministers to the crowd he accomplishes accomplishes the work he he has the crowds he works hard He's busy about his father's work, but he's not rushed. You see that? He's not frantic. He develops relationships. He develops the 72, but he really invests in developing deep relationships with the 12. And then especially, iron sharpens iron, deep relationships with the three. And when it comes to you and me, your time, your energy, your resources are limited. It's just the truth. You have to make choices about what you will do with your time and your energy and your resources. And as a follower of Jesus, um, we have to begin to protect our time and our energy and our relational capital, our our resources. We need to begin to have boundaries in place. This isn't about being anti tech. No, I'm kind of a tech nerd. This isn't about being anti something. This is about wise boundaries, wise guardrails. This is about choosing what you want to invest your time and your energy in. And so I have three really practical things for you, three things for you to do that I think if you begin to do these in your life, it will be very helpful. If you have kids, these are vital because before you know it, these kids, you know, that right now it's like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Trust me, you're going to blink. Um, this is my household now. Um, and then you're going to be trying to figure out now, what do we do about smartphones and all this? How do we navigate all this? Three things. Number one, disconnect to connect. Jesus gets alone with God. He powers off. He, he, he separates himself in order to go deeper with those that matter most. Disconnect to to Connect. You know, that all the devices, they can begin to pull us into more and more shallow relationships. When you begin to disconnect to connect, you begin to invest more in the relationships that matter most in your life. You, you got to begin to unplug and disconnect so that you can direct some of your energy towards the relationships that matter most in your life. Now, I'm not saying drop it all, get rid of your smartphones. We're not going to go out and burn f- phones in the lot uh, next door. After church, because if you grew up in my generation, you did enough of that in the '90s with CDs, right? So, some of you are like, "What?" Yeah. Anyway, ask your parents if they grew up in a youth group. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm not saying that, right? But I am saying you need some intentional times in your life. Do you have any times that you just say, "Hey, these are times non-negotiables in our family meal times, no tech." Put them away. It goes away. We're actually going to sit around and have family dinner together around a table and look each other in the eyeballs and talk. You know, statistically, that's one of the most powerful things you can do for the relational health of your family and for the development of your children and relationships. It's just connecting around a meal. It's kind of tried and true method. People have been doing it for thousands of years. Maybe meal times. Maybe it's car time. Like, hey, on the way to school, on the way to sports games, we are not going to allow any tech in the cars because before you know it, you're driving and everybody's on their own device and nobody's talking. Everybody's doing their own thing, right? That, those are moments where you have an opportunity in our busy life to actually connect with each other relationally. I don't know what the moments are for you. Maybe you have a day every week as well that you block out and say, on this day, all the tablets, all the devices are going to go away, and we're going to play games together and go on a hike and do some stuff. Figure out a good rhythm for you, what works, but don't be accidental. Be intentional about disconnecting to connect. I, I got to admit, I don't always do good at this. Um, when I was writing a series on this, it was like um, a while ago. <laughs> we're playing a game, and my wife's like, "Stop texting! You're you're doing a series." I'm like, "Oh shoot! I put it away right." <laughs> Because it's hard, isn't it? These things, they distract us. Are you intentional about having some time when you disconnect to connect in your life? Second thing is to value. Place a high value on real relationships. Value real relationships. Again, this isn't about being anti-technology. It's about being for deep, meaningful relationships. You need times in your life where you connect deeply and you experience the highest highs with people and the lowest lows and you go deeper with fewer people. Maybe that's in a life group setting. We want some of your deepest friends to be people that you go to church with. That you would have times where you don't just ignore the people in the room. Isn't it easy? You know what it communicates? When we ignore the person in front of us in the room in order to respond to someone who's not there on a notification or Snapchat or text or whatever, it communicates value and importance. So it's just something to be aware of, right? It's about being the kind of person that's fully present in the moments and the relationships you're in. so hard to do, isn't it? Are you present? You know, let me just touch on something else because this is why um, internet pornography, pornography in general, it is so damaging. It's not just about morality in life. I'm, I mean, it is a sin issue. It's something that damages a relationship with God. That's that's true. But it's not just about that. It's actually an issue of what's real. And what they found, studies have found. I mean, it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. But the continued use of this, people get desensitized to real relationships. It begins to chip away and destroy a man or a woman's ability to have a real intimate relationship with an actual person. So it doesn't just damage a relationship with God. It erodes and chips away at the ability to have intimacy with an actual person in life. See, as Jesus' disciples, we want to be for real relationships. We want to have a a deep internal value that the real relationships, and especially those relationships that God has most called us to invest in, they really matter. The third thing is this, create healthy boundaries. And we're going to pass out something for you to take home right now. You can fold it, and this is meant to be a tabletop thing. And uh, what this says is a tech-free zone. So if you want to, this is a great way to establish some boundaries. And, and maybe this would be a great thing to try this week or for a few weeks. Put this on your table at home at mealtime just to remind everyone, phones go away. And if you're like my family, um, it may be the adults that are the worst offenders. Phones go away. Your kids will get better at this than you will. <laughs> They'll be busting you. And so you can use this. And on the back, there's just some, some ideas, like share highs and lows. That's a cool thing to do as a family around the table. Hey, what was your high today? What was your low today? Uh, pray. Have prayer requests and, and pray and, and talk about prayers that God answered. Um, talk about, share one thing you're excited about in the upcoming day and week. Dream. Make some dreams together about things you'd like to do. Maybe what if this summer you connected deeply with your family and with those relationships that matter most in your life? That you, you re-engage in some of those gospel-focused friendships that maybe you've just they've, they've just slipped off the radar. For some of you, the last two years, you have um, intentionally or unintentionally disconnected from people. And maybe this would be a season in your life where you reconnect and be intentional about that. And then also we have more resources for you, and we recognize the irony on a tech-free card of having a QR code on the back. So I'll just say that. We recognize that. Our youth pastor's son called us out on that yesterday. Um, (laughs) If you're joining online and you can't see that QR code, um, go to lifegj.org forward slash resources and we've got a bunch of extra resources. Here's what we have found. Here's the thing. You need some healthy boundaries. Parents, kids, singles. You need to establish some rules, some limits, some time in your week where you put your devices down. You need that. Also, a great idea is to turn your notifications off. That's that context switching thing. If you turn all notifications except for one or two, I, I've done this with like social media and stuff, um, yeah, I mean, even better idea if, you, if uh, you're willing is take that completely off your phone, just jump on a computer a couple times a week and check that stuff, right? You'll find, wow, I have less anxiety in my life. But turning off the notifications so that every time somebody gives you a like or whatever, it doesn't ding and you're like constantly switching your focus, huge deal. Game changer. Even email. Uh, turn off your email. Find times. One of the best things I learned like 10, 15 years ago was to actually have times you go on and check email instead of, I haven't always been good at this, but instead of having bells that pop up and you're constantly on it, being distracted, pulled away. Again, it'll lower your anxiety, it'll help you get more done. Turn off notifications. And then uh, we have some resources on here to help you set up some filters. So there's a couple things. If you, if you go to our website, we, we have about a 10 or 15 minute video that talks through some of these things that John, our operations pastor, tech wizard guru, um, helped find some great links. Things like a good router that you can put some good controls on. Um, some, uh, we've got a great talk up there that if you're a parent, you need to go watch. And it's about a heart connection with your kid. It's by this guy, Dr. Richard Ross, who did youth ministry for like 50 years. And one of the biggest things he's found is, hey, you might be able to change them, modify your kids' behavior when they're in front of you. But it, if you don't have their heart, you may win a battle, but you'll lose the war. And so that would be a great if you're a parent. Go watch that talk. And then there's some links up there for how to set up just wise boundaries, filters on devices to help protect your kids. There's a great software that's very... Um, robust, that you can put on your kid's phone. One of the best wedding gifts you can give your kids and their future spouses is establishing some wise external protection. Again, it doesn't replace the heart connection in the heart, but it's helpful to have some wise boundaries and wise protections on your devices, to have some rules in your house, like devices go in this drawer at night. All of them. They don't sit by your bed all night long. Um, there's some things on there about the built-in controls that you can put on as a parent on your phone. I had to learn all this recently. Look all this stuff up. And there's some really robust things. But then there's also some tools on, on how you can, uh, as a parent, look for some of the things that maybe ways that kids are avoiding some of those things too. So that you can be aware of that, that that's happening. As an adult, you understand consequences in a way that your kids don't. If you're a teen, that's just the truth. It's, because it's actually a brain development thing. Your brain doesn't develop risk assessment fully until you're, you're like 25. I think it's a little younger for ladies, which explains a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> and so some of these things are just wise boundaries and guardrails. If you've ever driven over Red Mountain Pass, you know guardrails are there for your good. And there's some sections on that you're like, whoa, all Right? Every time I drive over, I tell my wife, you want me to get a little closer so you have a better view? And she screams, no, every time, every time. So it's so kind of a fun game that we play. Fun for me, not for her. So take this, make some choices, disconnect to connect, value real relationships, create some healthy boundaries in your life. We want to be people that have some boundaries in place who have deep meaningful connections who channel who channel our relational energy to the people that God's called us most to invest in. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe that there'll be a day when you stand in front of your savior and give an account for your life. I don't know how that looks or what that is like, but I don't think any of us want the scene to be hours and hours and hours of just scrolling, a life of scrolling. We want to be investing deeply in the lives that God is calling us to. Would you stand? Let me pray for you. Father, Lord, as we look at this kind of strange topic to talk about in church and yet very practical and very applicable, I pray that you would give those in the room, that really need to hear this, that you would give them the, the strength the willingness to say, okay, God, what do, how do we need to get a handle on this in our home? And you would give them the ability then to take that step. And because of that, that they would see their relationships go to the next level and, and they would find more joy and more fulfillment and ultimately that they would have great fruit for your kingdom. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.